Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who is stuck in a forever job as a ghost. <laughs> I've described capitalism. Hello and welcome to the show. I know. I know that uh, I'm the Adam Glass, first off, and I know that uh, in this movie, uh, the characters sort of predate capitalism. We're sort of still in a. a I guess feudal uh, we're society, in a pseudo feudalist really. state. The, the, yeah. That transition was was weird. right. We're in the middle of the transition, aren't we? Well, we're actually like pretty much post transition. We're not quite post transition. Uh, I, I can I can introduce you to a book that discusses the sort of subtlety of describing when exactly the Meiji Restoration was over and not because okay. it's complicated. Um, okay, so you're it's either over or not over, but it's very near being over, regardless. It's eighteen ninety five, but the issue is that as we've talked about before the and i I'm, i want to indicate the the air quotes are extremely heavy here the reforms mostly involved locking poor people back into a semi-feudal state via taxes right like like there was a lot of talk about reform and like making a modern democratic society and if you read the right books that's exactly what happened and if you read different books that's exactly what didn't happen. Like they created a very, very narrow middle class out of the people who were already middle class. And then all the poor people just continued to be poor subsistence farmers who didn't own any land because they did a land reform that then everybody lost the land that got this is this one is I'm a little unclear about a little bit, but it seems like what I was reading was that they did a land reform. They redistributed land to make sure the farmers owned the land they were working, and then immediately taxed them so hard they all lost the land. Excellent, excellent. Uh, in any case, sorry, it's there is some framing of this that I have read where people have interpreted that he was so dedicated to his job uh, that he he came back to continue. Well, I mean, this sounds like capitalist propaganda to me, but okay. And right, yeah, that's just capitalist propaganda. Uh, he just guy, so loved hauling that fucking rickshaw around, nearly killing himself every day. They just right. couldn't stop, even in death. Right, and the crazy part is when we see him actually doing it while alive, he's not very good at it. <laughs> like, no, I mean, I think. Well, okay, let's cut him some slack. I think this is a job that maybe it's impossible to be good at. Uh, you were driving fair. a fairly shitty cart around over roads that were clearly not designed to transport people right, in right. carts, especially with a team of one dude pulling it, who right. probably doesn't get fed enough food, frankly. Yeah, and e- even his very tiny wife, he struggles to pull it. Yeah, so. like, I mean, yeah, like, I assume he just exclusively transports, like, chihuahuas or something. <laughs> uh, but, like... Yeah, I mean, like let's let's assume that he, like all peasants, basically ate exclusively millet for every right. meal, and that was about it. So uh, yeah, millet, millet, and some sort of alcohol. Yep, that's and, it. Uh, that's his life. Anyway, yes, you are correct. This guy is just a ghost of capitalism who can never escape the prison system that has been created around him. And that's what we're going to talk about today, instead of what the movie's nominally about. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know that Oshima would hate that interpretation. No, I don't think so either. In in fact, I think there's probably um, when you, it's it. Well, okay, boy, we're gonna go way off rails right at the beginning. 
But like when you talk about the systems he's rebelling against, one of those systems is very, very definitely rampant capitalism. Okay, let's be very clear. <laughs> Before we get too far into the movie, I do want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lost in criterion over there for just a dollar a month. You can help keep us going and get access to a bonus episode. Every Ooh. month I put up a list of uh, four movies and Kazam, the children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal. More than a, a movie. Genie. A master. More than a movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, usually the four are themed. Uh, sometimes Kazam fits into that theme. Sometimes it just exists. Uh, but Its it is, own it separate is the theme. Out. It is the out because our all our supporters get to vote on what movie we're going to watch, and if they just completely reject the list, I put right, together, right, this they is can an overthrow the system. Yeah, we've got the the release valve that uh, they can just make us watch Kazam again, and they have made us watch Kazam twice. twice yeah, I'm actually surprised it's only been twice. I think they must not really enjoy hearing us talk about Kazam, frankly. Right. Right. It is surprising it's only twice because we've been doing it for, uh, oh, goodness, it's been over four years we've been running the Patreon. So. Are you you ki- are you lying to me right now? I'm not. We've got, I. it's been at least three. Nope, this is definitely cognitive dissonance. I need to log off and we're going to end this podcast for today. <laughs> I can't <laughs> no, deal with the idea that we've been doing the Patreon part of this for four years. Or even three. I can't, <laughs> no. I, I, um, so we we started the Patreon up. Our oldest current supporter uh-huh. has been supporting us since September of 2017. Adam, that wasn't four years ago. It was, Pat. No, uh-uh. it was no. My <laughs> I mean, oldest you're child right is five on years technicality. old, <laughs> uh, and has been for five years. I refuse to believe. By the time this. this episode's posts, it will have been four I years. I can't deal with time. actually. Still not quite. I need to lay quite. down. Uh, anyway, yes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so there's, uh, you know, there's about 48 bonus episodes That's over there. So plenty of, ba- plenty of back, uh, back catalog if you want to go exploring that. And yeah, we have a lot of fun. We watch a lot of different movies. Always a non-criterion film over there uh, in case uh, the Kazam wasn't an indication that we're talking about non-criterion films because it's not in the Criterion well, Collection Yes, you yet. wait, Adam. Yet, yeah. uh, but uh, but we've uh, we watched a lot of very good movies over there. A lot of very bad movies over there. We've watched uh, Louis Malle's God's Country and Dog Day Afternoon, and we've watched uh, Ready Player One and Ernest Goes to Camp. Uh, and uh, maybe I can think of a bad movie. What's a bad movie we'll watch over? There? No, I <laughs> Ready Player One is actually it's, a pretty bad it's, movie, but it's not. It's, it's not fine. as bad as. People made it's, it out to me, I don't think. Uh, but yeah, we have a lot of fun, and uh, you get to suggest, if you want, supporters can suggest uh, movies for us to watch over there. And usually with a suggestion, we try to, if the timing works out, we try to get whoever suggested a list on the episode. So we have guests over there a little more often, too. And like I said, it's it's a lot of fun. And it's just a dollar a month. A dollar a month. You can buy your month. way onto our podcast. 
Yeah, like we're it. we're very very cheap. Um, yeah, the cheapest podcast out there. If you want to buy your way onto a podcast, <laughs> yeah, do we have a deal for you? I mean, it's more expensive than free, but uh, barely. Um, but barely, it's true. I mean, I guess it's free plus you have to have good ideas. Or, With or it's not free, inflation it's plus good ideas. With today's inflation, zero dollars is essentially one dollar. So, <laughs> right, right, or right. the other Probably way. Yeah, I don't know. I'm confused. Anyway. I don't understand inflation. A little um, doesn't make any a sense little above the one dollar mark. We uh, we offer another tier just for people who feel like uh, they want to give us a they little like extra us. money. At, more yeah, five dollars and we like to thank those people on air so our five dollar supporters currently are steven goldmeyer and eric coronado uh steven's been a longtime friend of the show and eric has too actually he was one of our earliest supporters uh but uh, uh had to go away for a minute when life changed for him and is now back at five dollar mark as of today and i'm welcome back Eric. Ecstatic. thanks yes yeah a little above that we do something that is pretty dang special uh, at $10 and above, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized thank you note out to uh, out to our $10 and above supporters. And we also like to thank them on air. So thank you so much to Jason Westaver, to Chris Otto, to Michael McGrath, Patrick Yako, and Adam Speakerman. Thank you very who much, are our $10 and above supporters. If you want to see those postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion, and we've got the back catalog of postcards. You can check them out. You can buy old ones if you like. Obviously, they're not going to have the personalized note, but uh, but you can mail them to your grandma. Write your own. Yeah, note, you can say. you can send your grandma something very confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Haven't you ever wanted your grandmother probably. to look at uh, at a picture of Gary Oldman and go, "What's going on here?" <laughs> That's every picture of Gary Oldman. <laughs> this, is this is also true. This is also true. It's like, I feel like I've seen him before, but he looks completely different. Why? I <laughs> don't <laughs> like, now that we get into that thing, I'm like, oh, I think you're just describing an actor. I don't, uh, I don't know what's going <laughs> right, on here. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, anyway, again, that is patreon.com slash lost in criterion if you want to support it. And we are greatly appreciative of those who do, but absolutely also just appreciate you listening. We do. We appreciate everything. So this week we are talking about our second uh, Nagisa Oshima film. Uh, I'm sure I said his yeah, name you did incorrectly. Pretty, you did really good. I am. I'm impressed. Oh, thank I. You. I thank you. legitimately that was on point. I feel like we're finally getting Japanese vowels. Finally, finally after you. nine years, shoving shoving through. Yeah. Can I talk I'm about? Can I that. talk about my my favorite part of the entire movie? Uh, okay. Right, right now, off the just bat. right out of the, right out of the yeah. gate. All right. Um, sorry, I'm just going to interrupt right now. So, <laughs> at what point the policeman's talking to the the hard of hearing guy, and he's yelling right, and at the very yes. end, it's the translation. He's like just messing around because the guy can't hear anything, and he, he they, it's it's beautiful because the translation says A B C A B C D E F G. Yeah, and like I don't know, it was just. It, it, he's doing like the Japanese equivalent of that, which is completely different, but also the same thing. And I really admire the translators. Like, yeah, I'm gonna put it in there. Why not? <laughs> yeah, good, excellent. Like, it doesn't make what any is... sense here, and like, no one's gonna like be like, it's yeah. I'm just leave it in. Why not? Fuck it. I just admire the, the attitude. 
Criterion is usually very good about doing sort of cultural translations mm-hmm. as they uh, as they translate the subtitles, um, which leads you know for languages I understand, I sometimes question yeah, their yeah, choice. I mean, yeah, but uh, me too. And I I'm I'm sure with many of the Japanese movies you do, but it seems like this one worked out. <laughs> yeah, no, I just really admire like just being like it's not really necessary to the plot or anything that's going on. It right, doesn't really right, make sense right, in right. English, but it doesn't really yeah, make sense so in we'll Japanese get... either because the policeman's just a weirdo. Uh, it's pretty right, great. So we'll get that. We'll get that out of the way yeah. in the middle of the introduction. Sorry, so. <laughs> I was excited. I love you. I'll Pat. forget. Ah, this week we are talking about Empire of Passion uh, from 1978. Uh, as I said, by uh, by Oshima. It's based on uh, based on a a novel that I have. I guess was read, unpublished. I'm very unclear about this. Yeah, it, it seems like it's unpublished. I don't know. Yeah, um, by Nakamura. Um, yeah, it seems like it was unpublished, and somehow he got a copy of it and really connected he with it. He knows a guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like last week's uh, In the Realm of the Census, this was a co-production with the French distributor Argos Films. Uh, the guy who ran Argos, uh, Dahman was his name, and we talked a little bit about him last week. Uh, he had been a... I suppose straight movie producer. Uh-huh. He had produced movies by Bresson, by Resnais, by a lot of the the French early like proto new wave guys, and into the new wave. Um, and then by the late sixties, he had decided to get into just straight hardcore pornography. Uh, well, not straight hardcore pornography per se, because he wanted to make films that were graphically hardcore pornography that also had artistic merit. Right. Uh, which is why he chose to finance Realm of the Census. And then this is also a movie about sex. Uh, Although nowhere so, near hardcore pornography. Right, any, right. It, it's not which, even really a pink film. It is a straight normal which, film. Yes, which Dahman took issue for <laughs> with uh, because... It's like, I was trying the, to, uh, like, I was trying to bankroll some porn here what is this? they after this movie they never worked together again I, that uh, is oh, that's so fascinating like yeah to just get this and be like it's a pretty good movie but i was looking at where's the fucking <laughs> right right i want some hardcore boning in this and you've disappointed me i'm never working with you again <laughs> right, right okay can i talk about okay let's just derail just fuck the format whatever <laughs> exists in this podcast do you think I'm going to derail this so hard we will okay. not do any actual podcast? Excellent. No, I'm just I'm joking. You know I love but that. it does seem like this is where this could head. Do you think Okay, wait. This, let's walk down this road with me, okay? You just got to stay with me, okay? Okay. We have talked on numerous occasions about the really intense amount of Asian but specifically Japanese exoticism that happens in France. Yes. And then this French dude lies, helps get this hardcore porn art film made in Japan by a Japanese director and is already that feels like maybe there's something weird going on here. 
suggests a little bit anyway. I, I meant to bring that up last week. I don't know that there is, but right, like, right, right. it feels like, oh, I wanted somebody to make porn into art, and then I turn towards a place that maybe in my mind I've created some sort of, you know what I mean? Like there was a lot of geisha right, right. art and stuff floating around France and certain We've certainly talked about this this particular period of times, uh, exoticism and eroticism right. of the Far East, right? Uh, and then, and it does oftentimes very much focus on on Japan, uh, and this right. is not it's not even the first round. We're on like round number three of this shit already, right? Right. And then in in France, particularly, it it seems to have often focused on Japan. Uh, because Vietnam was less about uh, eroticism, right? You and can't, more about just exploit exactly, right? It's like, oh, it's really hard to uh-huh. do it there, do this there, but like, this is the place we we aren't welcome right. to go in and and fuck shit up. Yeah. Um. So like, I'm sure it still happened in Vietnam. It was just uh, yeah, not I'm sure the it did too. I mean, like, I just, I don't know. Every time I see anything, it's more often than not, it's like some sort of thing relatively connected to things, specific sectors of Japanese society that have really right, nothing right, to do right. with sort of main, necessarily mainstream understandings. But, okay, so we got that. Then we have this same person gets, this producer pays to have him make another movie. It's not hardcore pornography. He immediately cuts ties with this person. Right, right. Does that not, in some way, to you, feel like it lends credence to... To me, to that line I know of that thinking, we have a particular view of this sort of era of French discourse on Japan. Yes, we do. Uh, because of what we have experienced of it, uh, I, you know, I don't believe that we're imagining it into existence. No, um, but it is uh, an opinion I hold. So of course, I don't believe I'm imagining it into right, existence. Right, right, right. Uh, but I'm trying to look at it from an outsider's perspective sometimes. Uh, I think coupling that with reviews of this movie and reviews of, say, Kurosawa, um, within France and the U.S., that paint these films as not Japanese enough. Right, which has also really always been a very uncomfortable statement to me. I right. get it. It does come from inside of Japan too, and that is an uncomfortable statement for radically different reasons than the ones from, like they meet in the middle, but happen for very different reasons. Okay, like one of them is coming from I think a point of exoticism and imagining that somehow Japanese cinema should be exotic and and right. and have some je ne sais quoi that is purely Japanese about it that has oh it's I'm not so in conversation. Glad you used a French phrase for that yes, too. You're welcome. Sorry. Um, anyway, so like uh, as though there is some un- intangible like Japanese-ness that would be in a movie that like, oh, it just doesn't have it. Um, right. And then the Japanese discourse is very much coming from a sort of like sort of nationalist sort of like, oh, our cinema should be uniquely ours and shouldn't be marketed towards Westerners sort of vibe. I don't think it's like that intense. I don't think a lot of movie critics aren't like. I don't think they're hardcore nationalists or anything like that. I think they're just identifying a thing like, oh, this wasn't necessarily entirely meant for us as an audience. Especially when you deal with something like Realm of the Senses where you're like, we couldn't even fucking watch this movie <laughs> that you made. Right. Like, I know right. what your point was, and we do it. And I think a lot of people did admire 
the effort to just fuck with the Japanese censorship laws. I mean, that's right. a time-honored tradition in a lot of countries. Uh, but uh, to, at the same time, you get into this sort of like, okay, but now this one we can watch, but it's just maybe meant for a Western audience. Although, right. I don't know that it is. It very much feels like something, like it's in conversation with something like White On or something like that. It feels very much in the right. same same vein. Well, it absolutely is. Yeah. So yeah, this is this is very much in line with the other Japanese horror films yeah, that we've seen, the Japanese ghost story films that we've seen. Uh, though uh, Oshima himself uh, points out that uh, that in his view, uh, something like Quite On, um, or uh, Onibaba, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that something like those are what he views as a, a Chinese Buddhism-influenced ghost yeah, story. Yeah, I can see that. Where the, uh, where the ghost is there for vengeance. Yeah. Whereas he views Gisaburo in his film, Our Ghost, here, as not out for v- vengeance and in line with a more traditional, lower-class Japanese folktale ghost. Who yeah, sort of just I, I, get, I get that, but I feel like and I you know where I totally get where he's coming from with that. But at the same time, those two have been mingled together for so long. Right, I feel right. like a lot of Japanese ghost stories seem to have both components at the same time. Like traditional stories seem to have a mingling of those two internal themselves, where like they 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 create this sort of like where like depending on who's telling it and how. The level of vengeance versus sort of in, like Buddhist inevitability that exists inside the the narrative yes. is is very much in. It's always sort of in conversation with itself, anyway. Um, not not to say he's wrong. Like, yes, I agree. This the ghost is not out for vengeance, but keep in mind that the outcome is very similar to what would happen in not necessarily one of those really aggressive ghost stories, but like that he does essentially haunt them to the point of madness. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And it's like this, he's not, he's not pulling like overt revenge. Right. But he, but his existence there is. And And she does have, there is that one sequence where, where perhaps it's meant to be her own uh, nightmare projection. But after he takes her home, getting lost in the fog, uh, she sees him as faceless and bleeding, right? And that's right, a, right, right. a very different ghost to to any other point where we see them. And a much more sort of vengeance oriented. Yeah, yeah. And and, ghost. and and like I, I agree in the in the sense with him that like there there are all, there are a lot of Japanese ghost stories where like the ghost will straight up just fucking kill you. Like will right. literally just do something horrible to you directly. But there's. Right. I've also and feel I, like I've heard stories where the ghost just sort of haunts you to death, essentially. Right, and I also think that that this idea of of you know if that is a different entity and it is an entity that is wholly in her head, well, the 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 rest of the ghost is wholly in their heads too, right? He's right. Just yeah, a, that's fine. Like an that, avatar of their guilt. So right. I like, mean, in that situation, all I mean, okay. To be fair, Buddhist ghost stories are. Well, yeah, they 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 are complicated that way. Like they are an right. a, an avatar of your 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 sort of your 
sort of indulgences into into sort of like straying from the the narrow the the straight and narrow path and 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 giving in to temptations and things like that. So I don't know. I <laughs> go. I don't know because like ghosts are just fucking metaphors. Let's like you know whatever. Right. Right. Like, Right, and they're metaphors. It's, they're all fucking Buddhist no parables that teach right? you to not like be whatever the thing you're doing too much of. To not be greedy or lusty or yeah. or whatever, right? Like every you fucking know? ghost story on earth. Right, right. <laughs> Even modern slasher film ghost stories. Yeah, are all it's like just, fucking parables. The That's thing. just what they right. are. Like, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I mean, sometimes yeah, the morality so... is questionable. Oftentimes, <laughs> not great. I... Very judgmental. Uh, very, very Aesop. Very. Why are we still talking about this guy? He, he, his morality exists for a for a millennia bygone era. But uh, yeah, you know, some. All I'm saying is the grasshopper doesn't deserve to starve. Right? No, I yeah, totally, I agree. I mean, but also, I even yeah, it's the same problem, right? Like, I mean, I mean, I really don't care if teens have sex. Frankly, <laughs> right, and they right, certainly don't right. desire, deserve to die for it. So, what are you gonna do? Right, yeah, uh, but yeah, so, but I do think that's that's sort of interesting. Ashima's view on this is sort of interesting in that, you know, as as within Japan to an extent, and certainly outside of Japan, this movie gets labeled as not Japanese enough. He believes that he is making it even more distinctly Japanese from uh, from other Asian influence, right? Uh, that right, but that I mean, that's a yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying, and I and I know I could definitely see him. He seems like the sort of intellectual who would make those sort of arguments. The problem right. is, is we get back to is what we always come back to is that like there's a long enough and complicated enough history. It, this right. is true of almost actual... any culture that like parsing suddenly now we're the fucking Shinto priests of like fucking right. what what year was it? Right. Like back like. There was like some I forget what year it was, but there was like a it was for a long time, but there was like a sort of weird Shinto versus Buddhist sort of theological war, where like yeah. the Buddhists were like the Shinto priests were trying to prove that like, um, oh Shinto is better because is even more Japanese because it doesn't even bother to. Tr- oh no, it was it was Confucianism versus Buddhism uh, versus Shintoism. It was basically the point was like oh. Shintoism is even more Japanese, so that's what the re- and it's like, and we still do that to a certain extent today. But it's like, come I'm on, sure. man, I'm this sure. shit's all been around here for right. fucking like a, like two thousand years. Can we just move on? Right, right, and and you know his his framing of it was that the vengeful ghosts are more influenced by Bushido, and that this is a a peasant's ghost, a farmer's ghost, not a samurai's ghost. Yeah, I mean, I can see it. It's, uh, but. But you're right to say that he's still arguing, like, how how Japanese is a samurai's ghost? Right. I mean, it, it gets Japanese, very, so very obviously. semantic-y and, and right. kind of like, I don't feel like we, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, there are reasons that this movie, you know, it clearly has sort of Western horror trope influence with, like, the rolling fog over the over the marshland is, like, very hammer horror sort of thing yeah i mean yeah uh, but it's not obviously we have seen movies like uh what is it double suicide where uh the supernatural elements are portrayed in a way 
that is drawn from, and quite onto this too, I think, that, that is drawn from Japanese theater traditions. Right. And that is not something we see in this. No, no. These are not like, yeah, they're, these are not fucking like, excuse me, kabuki. Right. Uh, right. But that does ghosts. that does not inherently make this non-Japanese in some way to me. Right. Yeah. No, uh, I, I, I think I think what we're what we get into is you know, I think you get this sort of sort of uh yeah, you get this kind of weird dual thing where yeah, exactly where like the same people you get the claims about Kurosawa's work from the outside and from the inside in Japan about the how Japanese right. it is. It's this sort of like thing that almost i i kind of mentally tune it out whenever i read it in an article or something right. i'm like this and is that, an irrelevant argument this is it's either a good movie mind, or not a good movie that brings us to mind our last conversation about kurosawa dudeskaden how we basically came to the conclusion that uh that the movie was rejected in japan for being too much about in oh, aspect yeah, yeah, of Japanese yeah. culture that no one in Japan really wanted to talk about out loud. Yeah, I mean, and we'll never know because we just don't have enough. There's just not yeah. enough data out there. But it is a deeply held supposition on my part at this point. And right. then we right. had another uh, one of the commentaries here just straight up talked about that today, and with regards to uh, the uh, the lead male character to uh, uh, what's his name to- Toyoji. Uh, yeah, as probably yeah, the also as probably right. like being Barakami as well like it, it it's which is weird because i've never seen a japanese movie critic slash person in that art space directly address that topic which is really fascinating interesting yeah i mean like i'm sure it happens but i've i have not we've watched a lot of fucking japanese movies where there were a yeah. lot of cases where there were people there were definitely super downtrodden class of people in the movie and that just never came up right like no one ever mentioned it in any commentary ever as far as i can remember because i feel like it would have fucking stuck out to me because it certainly did this time right um so it's, it's just a thing to think about and it's 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 interesting in that regard of uh because you know, we did talk extensively with Tedeskin and i i recommend anyone who hasn't read uh, listen to that episode. Go ahead, uh, Pat. Taught me a lot about you know, the uh, Barakamin. Um, but it's interesting then that you know this movie ends on the soldier's brother, the village idiot, the mm-hmm. the, the mentally uh, the mentally challenged person, right? Um, which is certainly, you know, a he is uh, an outcast of outcasts, right? He is an especially disparaged uh, class of person, right? Um, so, yeah, you know, trying to parse out exactly what Oshima might be trying to say politically with this movie is maybe. Maybe harder than yeah, last week. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, like, cause, like in many ways, last week is so bald face <laughs> on the surface <laughs> right, of what the right. thing is. The thing tells you what it is right out of the gate, immediately, right on the surface. This right. one isn't hoi- like it's not not saying stuff. It's just like it is. 
not a subtle movie, but there's a lot more sort of inter interplay in that sense. Like, yeah, the other one is just so much about like that, like fuck you to power that like, right. Don't even really need to think about it in many ways. And this one is, I think, in similar ways, a rejection of social norms across the board. Um, particularly if, you know, she is violently rejecting her uh, gainfully employed husband for uh, for someone who is a social outcast, period. Right. right. Um, you know, not that... Not that the beginnings of their relationship or something. Well, but, uh, yeah, we're going to talk we about can, that in a little bit. We can just bit. gloss over, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, because I, yeah, hmm, I won't, we will have to talk about that. <laughs> we will have to talk about that. Uh, uh, we will. But they are definitely, they are re- definitely rejecting social norms. This is uh, all instances of state authority here are violent idiots. Their violence is effective, but they are also idiots. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, like, not like just, laughably stupid. Like the not just yeah, not just the cop who who is apparently based on, uh, based on a real person because the novel is based on a real event, huh. um, but also, uh, the soldiers who show up to to do the raid when they arrest the couple how he's he's like banging on the door and just like falls through it yeah uh, as we cut to the inside of everyone jumping through the walls you know they are they are also comic comedically inept even as they are effectively violent which is its own commentary on state power well absolutely right uh, yeah yes i mean like you're all idiots but you are incredibly dangerous idiots (laughs) right and that's the problem well, I mean, I feel like with this one especially, like, you know, Oshima sort of barely touches on sort of state power in the in Realm of the Senses, where right. this one is much more a, t- a conversation about state power and its and its a willingness, desire, and ability to sanction sexual morality. Like, and like, of course, it does have to do with like they did also commit murder. So let's. Be- very clear yeah but but it is the the police officer becomes obsessed with their sexual relationship that's the key to his crime solving system bearing in mind that as far as i can tell it's irrelevant because like he he has borderline unlimited authority like right the, the, right the 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 sort of narrator at the end Says, well, his his he's his life in line is also on the on his job is on the line or whatever. Like, you get the impression. I'm not very clear about the justice system in this era, uh, or how much this is accurate to it. Well, that, I'm like, sure that his his life became on the line with the second murder, not the first. Right, I right. That's probably, that's that is right? definitely true. I don't know. I thought there's there's a possibility that they had some sort of like eye for an eye legal system or something. I don't know enough about like early Meiji era legal like justice frameworks. Uh as far as I understand it's mostly supposed to be modeled off of the British system, so I don't 
I don't. I don't. I also don't know anything about the British system, circa nineteen or eighteen ninety five. So you know, uh, I'm a bit in the dark here. But well, we're a little. We're a little beyond. It depends on where when they picked up the influence, because into the nineteenth century, the British system was was still at times. Uh, death for any offense <laughs> right i mean my so. my point was i don't know if they had some sort of like sort of uh oh the policeman accused an innocent man so therefore the policeman will receive the innocent man's punishment or something i don't know if they had some oh. sort of arrangement like that and that's why i don't know if it's directly connected to the death of the the right like right. the um sort of owner like the master the the sort of feudal lord, the lord. of the area yeah um i just don't know uh but the thing about it is is that um as far as I can tell, he his authority is broad, just like widely sweeping, and so and if their if their plan is just to torture people until they get, quote unquote, a confession, then really you could just accuse them right out of the bat because you're going to beat them until they say they did it. Like you know what I mean? Like, and and while the movie will pretend, you know, works on a framework that like he needs to be right about it when he does it. We both know that a person who's being tortured, and everybody knows, including a police officer at this time would know, oh, I'm going right. to get a confession somewhere around beating number 60. Anybody will tell me anything to make it stop. Right, right. So, right. like, the idea that he actually needs to have proof becomes a sort of commentary more on the state like his proof is specifically about their sexual relationship, which means that it's really the story. And that part of the story is about the fact that the state needs to sanction their, their sexual relationship. That it needs to, that it, it has a view on that relationship and that really, and that that is, that view is wrong or that, uh, right. that relationship is wrong and reprehensible. Um, yeah. And it's less, it becomes almost entirely not about the murder at that point. Right. Because he's not really at that point trying to solve a murder. He, in theory, in his mind, knows who the murderer is. He's just hunting for proof of an illicit sexual relationship at that point. Right, right, right. Which I guess also he's maybe connects, a perp. I don't know. Connects her into it more. No, I, I mean it does. But... I mean I'm not saying that it's not. It's not true in that way. What I mean is just that like the police officer is obsessed with one single element of right, evidence. Right. And that element of evidence is the thing that Oshima seems to be most interested in talking about, which is the sort of nature of sexual relationships in authoritarian systems. Right, right. Now, you you briefly mentioned the Lord, and I think he's an interesting character in sort of the, uh, the cosmology of the political system because uh, he's, he's affable, He's young, he's charismatic, people like him, he's intelligent, uh, everybody loved his wedding. Uh he lets the he lets the pores collect the leaves off of his property without punishing yeah, them, even so as the gracious. narrator remind us even as the narrator <laughs> reminds us that those are his leaves and he doesn't have to have to let and, them. And do bear that. in mind, he also is very well aware of the fact that these are his leaves because he brings it up at one point. Right, like you're right, collecting right. my leaves. It's like, fuck off. Yeah. Which, which, uh, you know, is is perhaps doubly interesting in that he's he's collecting your leaves and then dumping them into your well. So I guess he's not. He's even really just moving leaves them, around. Right? Yeah, he's moving your leaves, dumping <laughs> them specifically into a well that nobody's using. 
and probably right. can't use because it looks like it's ruined and not useful yeah. anymore. Well, it's it's all mud at the bottom, and you know there's a dead body in it. Well, yeah, but right, uh, true. At least one. Probably more uh, than one. Let's be clear here. It's probably what made it unusable in the first place. Yeah. Uh, also, just the way those wells are formatted, there's a lot of dead animals in them, period. Yeah. Right? There's got to be. They're yeah, I'm feeling like you've got pretty much they're just, boil, boil, they're just open pits. Yeah, you just got to right? boil your water when you when you use that well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is why they have a kettle constantly over the fire. Yeah. That's, uh, that's how that works. Uh, all the water you drink has to, has to be boiled. That's why you drink um, alcohol. Yeah, because that'll kill it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, at the same time that that Lord is also obviously ineffectual leadership-wise because the murder happens right under his nose, and he isn't able to figure it out for three well, years. Well, I mean, it's more than that, right? Because it's not just ineffectual. The the Lord, that Lord has no vested interest in any, like, right. because it's, oh boy, like, um, because he's the, sort of the remnants of a feudal system pulled into quote-unquote modernity to manage the peasants. Right. His role is almost entirely, like, for show, right? Like, his role, like, they're less than 20 years ago, they were literally just his property, basically. Uh, and now, I mean, not him, because he would have been very, very young, but, like, he no doubt was raised with the mindset that that was true. And also, they are, they're, like, kind of, it's weird because there's there's this whole overtone of the feudal system there because of like the fact that like is he affable or is he just totally devoid of really real meaningful interest in any of the peasant folk in his town and they fair. are they have to be obs- well, I can't ever say that word they have to be hyper submissive and right they nice have to, to show him. the respect right so like it comes off as a sort of weird like like oh they have a very good relationship like do they right like yeah they do because they will lose everything if they're mean to him and he couldn't give a flying fuck about them as people right right and that that sort of affable vestigial uh feudalism we see in western movies too i think of rebecca oh yeah and, yeah and and his relationship to the to the working class people of the like we're gonna throw a party for all of the townspeople. It's like because they live on my property and and survive at my uh, right, yeah, at my, my whims, yeah, yeah, well, exactly. So. It, it's it's really weird because like you know it's like he's not he's not ineffectual because he literally has no purpose, right, right. Like it's not his job to prevent murders. He has literally no reason for being. Right. Except to except to proclaim ownership of leaves of dry leaves. Right, right, ground. exactly. Like, so, like, it, like he's he's the ultimate like middleman. He has right. no meaningful purpose to anyone on either side. He's too low down. He's definitely too low, low down on the rung to be of any like significance. Sort of like in the set in the halls of power in like Tokyo or something like that. And he's certainly like too high up to be even a remote part of this community so he's just this weird 
he's very much just his sort of weird man in a high castle <laughs> doing nothing. Right, right, right. And he exists, you know, his function in the story is to be an informant to the police. Maybe, because he, he, like, yeah. he tells Toyo- Toyoji that he told the police that he saw what, what the well, him, him dumping the leaves in the well. Um, but we never actually see him tell the police that. Uh, right. And the way the police's investigation is going, it could be dumb luck that they ever suspect this. Or just the fact that he is the lowest rung of society. Well, locally. and that's a, that's a whole other thing, right? right? Like, it's like, there's a whole other thing, and I don't know if Oshima's trying to comment on this or not, really. But, like, the reality of the matter is, is if they never got anywhere this investigation, you know who they were going to eventually blame? Him. Yeah, yeah. Or, or his or his brother. I mean, it was one of the two, right? Right, like, it, right. It, it, it's, and why not both? Yeah, probably <laughs> both, right? Like, I mean, like, that was where this was going to head almost inevitably like i mean regardless of whether or not he did it or not which i mean he did but like you know right right um it is interesting that he has sort of the the forethought to make it look like a suicide for some whatever reason um with the young lord yeah it's which is fascinating yeah but yeah i mean yeah it's it's killing it, yeah, I don't know. It's this movie is much, as we talked about, much muddier than the last one in terms of like parsing out what it wants to say, because I feel like there's definitely commentary in the fact that like he kills the young lord, right? Like, I mean, he does kill this useless person who contributes nothing that is walking around just gonna posing posing a lot of trouble for him. Uh, does seem you never know. Yeah, it's it is interesting on the on the Burakaman moment that I believe it's Fuji himself, the actor himself, references the character as as Burakaman. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, I mean, Burakaman. Yeah, he does. He, I think it is uh, Fuji. I think uh, does comment about him possibly being Burakaman. Like, but like. But also then then says that and segues into him understanding the mindset of a young man who wants to destroy everything, um, right? Which, which maybe betrays a a, a a not great view. Of, yeah, I mean of it's possible. It's, anyway, well, but. I think it's it's combined with like like uh, Fuji. I guess would probably be of a very specific age to be like he was born in nineteen forty one. He would be like just the right age to have been shaped by the politics of the 60s in Japan in a really hard way. And they're pretty different than the politics of the United States in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Uh, And, like, uh, I want to burn it all down seems to have been one of the sort of, like, call to actions that did exist. Uh, pretty, pretty heavy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I can feel like he could feel like this fits into, like, that sort of rebellious youth. Yeah. And then you combine it with the fact that he would, like, the um, the character was a soldier. And then you start to consider, like, what that means in terms of, like, how yeah, he the, would uh, feel and that sort of stuff. The Tony Raines essay that accompanies the, the, the Criterion release uh, talks about... Uh, 
Oshima's position within the politics of post-war Japan. Um, says he, that Oshima always placed himself at some distance from Japan's consensus-based society. Um, that uh, that his films made him one of the most prominent dissident intellectuals of Japan, uh, equally critical of the country's successive right-wing successive right-wing governments and of the left's strategic failure and internecine squabbles. His exasperation with Japan's politics and post-war culture had first led him to empathize with Japanese Koreans, the country's perennial victims of discrimination, and then to focus on issues of crime and transgressive sex, which he saw as a, as violent expressions of rebellion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so. Yeah, I mean, he he very much has the poet like. I feel like saying like, uh, distancing myself from like the sort of squabbles of the Japanese left is also one of the squabbles of the Japanese left. You know right, what I mean? Right, like right. it's like everybody said that. Like everybody. Yeah. Like oh, I'm yeah. not part of that nonsense. Like I have Hashima. real feelings about real problems here. That Rains, I can do something Rains about. Ends that paragraph by saying Oshima uh, came to believe that Japanese uh, J- came to believe that Japan was incapable of change. Um, you know, which sort of reminds me of you know the last Ozu we talked about how how maybe Ozu's whole thing was that he was uh, you know uh, longing for a future that he was promised but could no longer exist. Right. A leftism that never came to power and now could not come to power. Um, you know, a slightly different view from saying Japan is incapable of change, but certainly a view that says Japan is incapable of good change. Um, right, so. right. Yeah, I mean, it's... I Yeah, I mean, I feel like that sort of, like, nihilism, especially on the left, in Japan, like it's not exclusive to Japan, but like, right, is right, is very like is an outcome that you read about a lot, right? Right. Like, and it's understandable, right? Like it 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 is. Of course, it it ignores the fact that incapable is not the same thing as is not actually what it is. Like, especially like, when you're are, living, yeah, when you're living in a country where the right wing keeps winning. Right. Right. It's very uh, easy to become very um to become yeah. very resigned and, and like, oh well it's it's hopeless, it can't change. Incapable of change is not the same thing as a very powerful group of people and uh interests actively seek to prevent you from making change. Uh are not actually the same thing. But you know, they're they're depressed because and that that seems to be the sort of the death of the Japanese left wing in a lot of ways. Right. Not that it doesn't exist, but that sort of its fall from any sort of ability to make change is that sort of like, well, it's hopeless. Right. We tried. That is also not a feeling exclusive to Japan. No, so. no, it's not. I mean, uh, you know, but like it, it yeah, exactly. And, and we actually can see like, they did like Japan and a lot of other countries followed very similar paths in terms of like what happened to those nascent revolutionaries when they gave up on those revolutionary goals. And I think most of the time the answer is office jobs. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, there are different reasons for it, but that is certainly the uh, the 1969 to 1981 pathway of a lot of people in the U.S. left right. too, right? So. Well, and, and, and everything I've read, it's true in Japan too. It's a lot of people yeah. like, well, I guess I need to like start doing living stuff now. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, guess I don't I gotta know. start ruining everything for future generations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um The movie is interesting um as a diptych or whatnot, as a companion piece. As to a realm. made up word? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um Diptych sounds like the word you throw out as a saving throw when you wanted to make a trilogy, but then couldn't get the third film. Exactly. Next. Well, like yeah. But, like, that's the funny thing, right? It's like you, you get into this conversation. Okay, let's have a conversation about terms of art, right? Like, yeah. why diptych instead of duology? Right. Like, I feel like diptych is what you go to because you want to sound a little bit fancier. And you're like, well, I know triptych. And that's a pretty fancy word. Well, in a purely linguistic conversation, the fact that triptych and trilo- <laughs> trilogy. <laughs> on a purely the linguistic version. conversation. On a purely linguistic conversation, the fact that triptych and trilogy both exist as words, but duology really has no footing. I uh, mean, like I understand d- what you mean when you say it. It does so exist it as a, a word. word. It is. It uh, is. I would but, argue it's as much as a word as diptych, diptych a word that also right. nobody knows. Yeah, I would call them a pair. Yeah, <laughs> so would I, right. because that's a word that people use. <laughs> right. Right. Anyway, as a pair. The movies are interesting in the way they contrast too, right? Uh, this is a much more rural story than than Realm. Uh, this is a story where the main characters feel guilty about the people they have screwed over over the course of the. Uh, though no one in Realm really, Nobody, there was no murder in Realm, right? right? I mean, well, there's except for the one, but that was that was consenting, I guess. I mean, that <laughs> but, one's much more complicated, right? Right, 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 right. I mean, there was no murder to maintain your lifestyle in this mo- in realm, um, you know. Whereas this one starts with the murder, uh, right? You know, this one, even in like form, I was really taken aback when the female narration happened. One because it happened so late into the movie the first time, <laughs> yes. right? But I was somewhat surprised that it was like an old woman's voice doing the narration instead of anything else. Uh, you know, it wasn't a character from the movie doing this. Right. This Although I think that voiceover it, it, to me. Okay. We're going to kind of going to go going to swing hard yeah. for like uh, for like uh, making an argument that is I don't know. If you I, have an interpretation of this. No, please throw I, it I mean, more that like I, I really read that personally in my head. I was like, oh, and this is like a hot take. Right. Is that I think that that was I don't know that that was the best choice. Um, okay. I feel like that was a play to add a little bit more like Japanese mythological feeling to the entire like ghost story to like round it out right. and be like, right. no, this is like, this is a ghost story. You know what I mean? Like, this I don't is, know. Like, this is a weird witch telling us about this. Right. Like That's to add it. an old crone at the end, essentially to be like, right. no motherfuckers. This is, ooh, spooky. Um, yeah. 
not necessarily spooky. It doesn't add any spookiness, but you know what I mean to like give it authenticity, right? Like, right, right, right. And it feels like I feel like it's swinging a bit too hard. It's like you know what? Did we need it? Don't know. (laughs) That's just my feel. I mean, it gives you good information. It does round out the story. It it really sort of completes the thought of the movie. Yeah. Um, but like. You could have had any one of a number of characters say it as well, and it would have not felt to me like you were trying to like add a little bit of zest to the thing at the end. Well, I think a flip side to that is is another rejection of convention. Like, uh, we only are reading it as as a witch or an old crone because it's not a plain male voice, right? Yeah. If it were a plain male voice, it would just be narration. But because it's something other than a plain male voice, it's got to mean something in some way. Uh, and well, maybe it's just Oshima rejecting that idea. I, right? I, yes, but we're going to go opposite of what we should. Yes, but. Okay. I yeah. feel like the way the dialogue is written there is very much meant to feel very prophetically sort of like. I also, I do like agree. seer esque. It, it, it yeah. has a like. <laughs> I do not disagree with that. Like, it is, I mean, if the dialogue were different, I don't know that we would have read it that way anyway. Or, you know, the narration were different. We, I, I feel like the the way it's written it leans into that pretty hard. It's like, right, right. I mean, and like I said, like, the information it delivers is, is good for rounding out the movie in general, right? Like, it, I especially like the ending, ending narration, where they're like, where that narration talks about how, like, these people have already passed from the village's memories by the time the rumor cycles in that they've been executed, which by the way, I call bullshit, but whatever, like it proves the point of the story and it's, and it's, and and it's an, it is a good ending to the story. It's also obviously horseshit. It's a town with like 25 people in it. Right. Everybody, this is, this is is literally all they talk about probably for the rest of all of their lives. Right. Those, any little kids in that town will learn this story at their mother's breast. Like, I'm not even joking. Right. Like, this will be the only story for this town for probably until everybody dies in the war, uh, basically. Right. I mean, you know, until they ship off everybody. Like, you know what I mean? It's like... As, and they will, it will be taught as a cautionary tale to how uh, sex outside of marriage makes you crazy. And actually, and, you know uh, what? I take it back. This mo- this They would still be doing this fucking story right goddamn now. <laughs> the number of well, like that's... local folk tales I have that you encounter in areas that are like obviously just some bullshit that happened that people just kept magnifying over generations. Like, oh no, they're definitely telling this story like right now in that town if it existed because it doesn't. Because like, well, a it's a movie and b like the town was already abandoned as any town like this would be by this point in time. But let's not right, right, right. A village of twenty people, twenty five people doesn't didn't hold out much hope. Especially as you got into the sort of war era, it's pretty much yeah. That is actually an interesting aspect to this is uh, how how he maintained a uh, a rickshaw business for a town the size of this. I don't <laughs> like, know. I yeah no. I mean, like, the, does the movie maybe have plot holes? Yeah, probably. Uh, is that one of them? Probably yes. Like, what yeah. was he making any money from? I guess just driving around the one lord. Yeah. I mean, it makes fro. it makes sense that he would move to Tokyo to try and do yeah. this job somewhere where he would make money. <laughs> but, well, that seems like a crowded market, but yeah, probably. 
maybe a, a you want to go a to suburb, like a mid-sized a town. Yeah, you want a to new go development outside of, of Tokyo, right? Uh, but yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, it is a stylistically interesting movie. I think it's it's got a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things going on with it. Yeah, I agree. Um, visually, it is it is beautiful. Um, it is much more uh, outdoor than our last the you know realm well, I mean, felt it, very artificial in its sets and very right. claustrophobic in its sets too not that that was real you know it was claustrophobic is is just the the negative of intimacy i guess but uh, right well and i think and then you know that's a, that is definitely something that they were going for in realm of the senses is like it's supposed to feel like those those very tight closeted quarters of um of you know the sort of red light districts of of I guess it's right, supposed to be right, Tokyo, right. but like um, the idea being that like it is claustrophobic because you are supposed to feel, for example, the discomfort of every single person who has to come. Like whenever like one of those, whenever they transgress far enough that it makes one of the people serving them uncomfortable, right? You're supposed right. to feel that intensely and suddenly that room that is like kind of just the backdrop to this you know whatever this wild sex scene slash dialogue session is becomes suddenly very uncomfortable now you feel now you're sympathizing with this person who's like i don't want to fucking be here like don't make me a part of this people are talking about you but also even beyond that like if you i mean like you are supposed to feel that feeling of like I'm just here to force some fucking sake. Stop trying to make me have sex with your boyfriend. Like I gotta right, go. Okay, right, like right, right. stop it. Just fucking stop it. Like you're. They are. They are interesting characters, and you're supposed to like enjoy watching them and listen to them talk to each other and like watch their passion grow and everything. That's all supposed to be in, interesting and enjoyable. But you're also every time one of those servers comes in, and you're like, and they look visibly uncomfortable. You're supposed to empathize and be like, well, this is pretty fucking uncomfortable right here. You're supposed to know this is transgression. Like right. in a very meaningful way, um, not that Whereas that's the movie we're supposed movie, to talk about. In this movie, who are we supposed to empathize with? Um, honestly speaking, that's a really good question. I was thinking about that throughout the entire movie. Like, obviously, we are supposed to feel initially bad for the husband, right. okay? Like because his death is brutal and and very un unnecessary. Like so. I, for him, at least, would be very much out of nowhere, right? Like, well, I don't, and, I don't know if initially it's him. I think initially it's Seiki, right? Uh yeah, because, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Like, uh, yeah, like at that because that all happens so quickly at the beginning. Your your sort right. of loyalties in the movie shift radically and rapidly, right? Like, first she's being sexually assaulted, right? And you're supposed to feel bad for her, uh, which again we still need to talk about, uh. And then you feel bad for the husband because he's just kind of murdered apropos of nothing, practically. Right. Like, right. he doesn't then, seem like a bad dude or anything like and that. And then just hangs around continuing not to be a bad dude. Yeah, <laughs> so like, not like, even really doing anything. Uh, and then you get into, like, then, uh, I mean, depends. I think at that point, because it sort of depends as the story progresses. You do sort of, you're supposed to kind of gain some sympathy for them, for their passion. I never really like one of the flaws of the movie for me personally was is I never really got into their relationship. Right. I never felt bad for them, probably because their relationship starts with a murder. 
Uh, and so I, I have trouble. I only go felt bad for them in as much as I felt pity for Seki through the, uh, through the whole thing. Yeah, you do. And, and that's, and that's where you, it gets kind of where the morality and like, kind of like storytelling gets complicated, right? Because like you do, and like you watch her change and become, and it never gets any better for her. But then as an audience, we're supposed to still recognize that this is still a thing of her, at least somewhat of her own doing. Um, and, and, and the thing we were to talk about is how much this movie, despite Oshima being nominally a feminist and everything still plays into the oldest, one of the oldest sexual stereotypes in Japan that is still propagated wildly in here is the idea of rape turning into pleasure and enjoyment and becoming like a relationship. Right. This is something that's featured in a lot of Japanese relationship media, like to this day. Uh, and I and it is a really dangerous mental ideology that I do believe a lot of Japanese men carry around inside of them. Everything I have seen, it shows up in all kinds of Japanese media all the time. The idea that like if I could just do enough to get her to enjoy it, it'll become consent. And it'll become a real relationship. Um, and that's a really dangerous... And the movie doesn't doesn't shy away from that, but leans hard into it. And I don't think it comes necessarily from a place of pure awareness. You know what I mean? Like, Oshima yeah. seems like he wants to tell good stories about sexual liberation. But he has a very specific perspective. And I don't think... I don't think he's telling us throughout this movie that that's not a valid relationship. We're supposed to recognize that this is a, a real loving relationship as a part of the movie, but I have a lot of problems with the idea that that's like in his mind is a real thing. Yeah. Because it's a thing that, like I said, it shows up in a lot of Japanese media. It, it's very common to this day and is also extremely dangerous has been very very dangerous for a lot of women in japan like a lot a lot right to this day and like he just has it casually in this movie and the movie doesn't in any way talk about like i don't need the movie to come out and be like have a psa at the beginning or something but like he doesn't engage with the relationship as being anything about the way it starts really as much as he talks about like the social mores about its ongoingness. Right. Right. Like, so that put me, that mentally put me in a really weird place with this because it's like, it wants to talk about, he wants to talk about sexual liberation and things like that. Like we, we, it keeps coming up in all the conversations about him. When a push comes to shove, it starts with like one of the most dangerous sort of like patriarchal like right concepts that pervades in Japan as if it's a real idea, as if yeah. it's real. In Realm, it was a woman taking control and a man allowing her to take right. control. And, of and a Realm is a wildly different relationship in every right. possible way. Whereas here, it's yeah. She's never, she's never exercising her own, and uh, we don't ever know that she authority. has any, right? 
self like any ability to self define at all. Right. Because we're never given that opportunity. Like, it's it's. I mean, in in that regard, we can talk about as the a ghost tragedy. As, <laughs> we can talk about the ghost as the shadow of past authority that still does not allow you to exercise your own your own right. 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 But like, but then we get into like you know fruit from the tainted tree kind of thing. It's like, right, does right. her exercising? Would she ever actually be? exercising authority in what is at best some sort of very fucked up situation, right? Like the person, I don't know. It's gets like, it's too, I mean, like, I think a lot of it comes down to like Oshima, not Oshima being the dude he is trying to write about like women's liberation. Right? Right. Like, he, like, wants to. And, but he's also going to, like, just start off with a thing that is, like, deeply dangerous and poisonous as, like. Right, a, right. Whereas. As a setting. With with Realm, he is working from a historical source that. That is the opposite of aligned, that. In every way. Yeah. Yeah. That aligned with the values he was trying to put into right. it. Right. Right. Whereas, whereas here. He might still be trying to put those values into it, but the actual base story does not really align with right. it, which I think does make this movie fail. Uh, no, for me, I, this right. movie was a was a was deeply fraught in that way because you can't ever let go of that. It, it, assuming that you mentally you watch that at the beginning and you mentally really take it in and try to start unpacking it, it like derails the rest of the movie. It, like it all just sort of. It never really, the movie doesn't unfold the way you want it to because now suddenly it's the, tr- it's it's, Segi's tragedy. Right. Disguised as some sort of like, ghost story slash like, uh, sort of like wayward romance sort of thing, but it's still just a tragedy. Like it's still just. She's gonna die for this guy. Yeah, I don't know. She it's, was. She was perfectly happy. She was. And then this exactly. guy forced himself into her life violently. Uh and then that is that is the tragedy, right? Yeah, Everything else exactly. is the downfall and the and the uh the repercussions of of that sexual assault. Right. And if we thought that that was what Oshima was here to talk about, I would be fine with it, but I don't get the impression. Yeah, even that, that is doesn't what he's really here play to talk right. about. Yeah, right. And maybe it's just because Realm was so much about liberation, but I suppose yeah. this is this is in its own way a condemnation of patriarchy in that you know it destroys both of them, right? Right, right. I mean, but, yeah, it's but definitely, then, yeah. then you know, the destruction is the the barakamine, uh Claiming authority, period, right? <laughs> so, like, right. I mean, yeah, it, and it and it gets that's its really own, that's its own fraught, fraught right? problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? It it gets it. The whole thing is kind of fraught from the beginning to the end because, like, yeah, like, and then at that point you get into this really, yeah, this whole other thing of like, now are you creating some sort of weird sort of stereotype narrative about like certain cast of people, and like. <laughs> 
their relationship to the rest of society and like you know i mean see there's all i'm saying is you could do a little a, bit of footwork and transpose this onto other places and other eras and it would be get really very uncomfortable very quickly right there is there is a a dual reading of that narration of that narrative rather um where on the one hand you can say uh this is uh the just punishment of a uh of an outcast trying to move above his station and the other side is of course we can and and i'm sure what what oshima is trying to say if he thought about it in these terms at all the flip side of that is the system is so against this person having any uh, self-determination that this is the inevitable result, and that is a problem. Right, and you could definitely, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely, that is a, that is a reasonable interpretation. The only, the only issue would be how much it centers Toyoji instead of Seki as who right. the narrative's about. And the narrative should be about her. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, she is the like the main character of this movie but then it starts to feel like did we just clearly hijack a story about this woman and make it a story about this man in the uh in the sort of like metatextual reading of it all well on a metatextual reading let's think about the titles then realm of the senses is a you know also called empire i believe empire of the senses in france yeah. You know, it is it is them creating their own kingdom, and in the same way, Empire Passion. This is them creating their own kingdom. Right, but is on, it they or passion. is it exclusively Toyoji's passion that creates right, this empire? Right, and that's and that's the problem. Right, I never because of the nature of how their relationship starts. I never feel her as an equal partner. Right, yeah, her society. passion always comes with a sort of mental caveat for the for right. the viewer of like her passion, and, right? Like it's and it is only really their final their final sex scene that even remotely comes close to be full, being fully consenting. And right, I can't even right. because of the nature the past of the relationship, all, it, it can't even. I then cannot. Feel it. Like, right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't. Yeah, like it's it's. <laughs> Yeah, it gets really, really upsetting to think about, and you when you spin it out, it gets really like, right, not right. a good. You don't go to good places mentally, because then you start thinking about other relationships that you know of in a modern context that have these sorts of like fucked up foundations that society just sort of accepts and allows to like ramble on, depending on who's involved and things like that. No, I'm not talking about Jerry Seinfeld. I don't know what you're talking. About. <laughs> uh it is maybe interesting switching gears a little bit that uh that realm is essentially blackballed by authorities within Japan whether or not critically or or audience wise it would ever have connected you know they just weren't allowed to see the actual product for a long time right <laughs> um but uh uh this movie in almost Japanese uh, society rewarding Oshima for scaling it back a little bit. This was the official submission to the Oscars, uh, right? For for yeah. this year, um, 
the Oscars wanted nothing to do with it. They did not. They did not put it on the list. Right. And, and in fact, scrolling through the list of uh, of submit of international submissions to foreign language category of the Oscars that year, uh, this is the only movie I recognize on it. <laughs> I have not heard of any of the other movies. Awesome. I would also like to talk just really briefly. You were talking about the names as a sort of way yeah. to understand. I agree. Like, I mean, obviously, it it cab it like couches them as this diptych thing, but also, I feel like. Do you think maybe like, oh, I thought I was getting two porn films, sir. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I no, named the naming, Empire of of the senses. The naming and Empire convention of is definitely like. How much does that have anything to do with anything? I don't know. Yeah, it is definitely the French. Uh, because it just the sounds exactly like, oh, I'm going to make a high-minded porn film. Yeah. Right. You know, Empire Passion is definitely the name of a high-minded porn film. Exactly. So. Uh, oh, there it is. I couldn't find the, the Oscar submissions. Yeah. I was like, I was looking all over the place and I just couldn't find it. I do love. Uh, weird. It's very weird. Uh in the first paragraph of the Wikipedia on this, it ends with it was released in France as Phantom Amour, uh, which would be essentially ghost love, I guess, assuming phantom is an actual French word, uh, which is not really, I don't think. Um, that is referencing uh, Stuart Galbraith's 1994 book, Japanese Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. Uh, and and there is a reference immediately after that that says dubious. Um <laughs> <laughs> on Wikipedia, nice. Where uh, where a Wikipedia commentator uh, says uh, Galbraith is the only source for this uh, claim as uh, as the the French title of the film, and right. as as old as they can find, it is referred to as L'Empire de la Passion, which makes sense because it is it is under the French titling, much more of a diptych. Right. The French title now the trade of, of the, the flip side of that is a very I could also see a very angry producer being like, This isn't the porn film I ordered. I'm right. not gonna so, put it I'm not so gonna maybe give it he immediately really porny changed name. the name to something. Yeah, I mean I don't know that that's what is true. I'm just saying that like I could definitely be like see a world where you're like where he's like, Man, I'm not gonna release it with this super porn name and have a bunch of people like come down hard on me for like I went to see that movie and there was no fucking. What 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 the hell, man? Uh, you know, I don't know. Whatever though. Probably it was just Empire Passion and somebody has some really dubious source. Um Right. I feel like that happen the more sort of the more entities at play with regards to like how the movie is made and released, like the more sort of hands it passes through in terms of like well, we've got like the French producing it, it's being made in Japan, and, and you know what I mean? The more likely these sort of like weird sort of like tidbits are to pop up. Also, apparently, like Stuart Gilbraith, Galbraith is like practically the only source on the entire Wikipedia page. Somebody read right. that book and then made the, right. this Wikipedia article. And then someone later said, hey, maybe Galbraith isn't the most trustworthy. Yeah, maybe we should get like another source for any of our information. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the the particular uh with Phantom the particular uh dubiousness is is that the French the French word phantom has an e on the end and uh and a accent I believe on the o 
So, oh, so it's not even phantom, a good one. Phantom formed like that, F-A-N-T-O-M, is not a French word. So mm. uh, Galbraith clearly made a mistake of some sort somewhere right. in that uh, that an editor should have caught, but whatever. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, the not... Tony Ryan's uh, essay is called Empire Passion Loves Phantom. So, yeah, I, I mean, right, maybe. Right, right, right. But it seems like there some wires got crossed one way or the other. The last sort of bonus feature that we haven't talked about yet is uh, a two-minute interview with Do Michael Sarah. Do we Sarah need to talk about on... it? <laughs> no, because he says nothing of substance. There's nothing in there. What the <laughs> fuck is this? My sub my supposition is, I don't know any of the origin of this stuff. But my supposition is they like, you know how they had those. I don't know if Criterion still does this, but they have those like famous directors actors and stuff lists yeah did they try to turn that into a video special at some point and did some video interview versions of that right at some Where you know he... what i mean like because like uh what was it um was it was it hulu or was it the other one the one that came after that uh, uh you're talking about filmstruck yeah filmstruck that had those like when you went to the website it had like the or maybe it was criterion's website where it had those like this movie is part of a collection that was curated by insert right, famous person right, right. here whose opinion I don't give a shit about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Criterion certainly has the text list of top 10 films from various directors and, and, and you know, people who have been in the closet or whatever. Um, I mean the Criterion closet there, not some sort of other thing. Uh, anyway. Um, uh, what Sarah says here feels like it's, a slight elaboration on a two-line description of why he liked the movie, right? It is. It is. It is. It is a deeply vapid. Like it is. Yeah. Like it's like, like the only. Well, I liked it because I I picked it up because of the cover, which is none of what he says is wrong or bad. Right. Right. It's like it's okay, just... you picked up the movie because of the cover. A very valid reason to pick up a movie, and you're like, I want to know what's going on. I want to fucking know what's going on here, and you watch right. it and you like it. Nothing. And you wrong watched with that. it with friends, and it was weird to watch with friends. Yeah, uh, man, I I really like, want to know if Michael Sarah watched Realm of the Senses with his friends because I feel like that would be even weirder and more uncomfortable. Um, but like he says he did. He says he did. It, did he? I thought he only talked yeah. about Realm of ba- Realm of ba- uh, Empire Passion. Oh, I'm so. sorry. Yes, you're right. You're right. I wonder. If I, he, I really I want to I, know. If I misheard he what like, you said. It's like I really like this movie. We should like do a. We should do an Oshima marathon, and then they get to these <laughs> and it's, oh no. <laughs> We're all just watching porn now in the same room. Yeah, that could. I mean, that would definitely be more awkward than watching this movie with other people. Yeah, this movie um, would be like. I actually don't know what part of this movie would be that uncomfortable. It's very much I think just he, in a line of like standardized ghost stories in a lot of ways. Like, kind sort of, of from what he was saying, I feel like he was talking about it being like a cerebral film where he was like inside himself watching it a lot. Maybe. Um, and that was the awkward, the awkwardness of it because. You're literally just sitting in silence watching a movie in your living room with a bunch of people, which is not usually how you watch a movie in your living room with a bunch of people. Right. Uh, like, I haven't done that in a long time, so I don't know. Right, right, right. Um, I I mean, I watch... There's some amount of commentary usually when you're yeah. watching a movie with someone. Yeah. Which you, of course, experience with your children. I'm well, sure. yeah, of course, because a lot of times you're contextualizing information that they do not have access to because they are 11 years yeah. old. And you're like, hey, by the way, did you know? And then insert something about uh, the Blues Brothers. Um, yeah, I do love the uh, the bonus featurette uh, called "On the Set," which is talking to uh, 
various producers or not producers of assistant directors of, of the movie basically right uh mostly because i get a very distinct feeling <laughs> that they are they are trying they talk about how after empire uh ashima basically had the pick of the litter as far as japanese uh uh yeah production crew members, staff and stuff yeah production yeah. staff went and and at first they tried to frame it as like because it was such a res- well-respected work but it almost immediately the the subtext is too loud of uh we all thought we were going to get to see naked women again yeah we were all here <laughs> so, for porn like, uh yeah right, no totally right. absolutely and it's very funny when you think about like they don't nobody can say it but it's like yeah i mean we thought we were going to watch some fucking like this is there's none of that there was like especially yeah. when the version's like there was no actual sex and it's like yep right. there it is but my uh, my my actual the the most interesting thing from that from that bit was uh was the guy talking about uh how they'd ask Oshima what to do in a certain situation to set the set the uh scene up or whatever and he'd just say look at the script like right right every, right everything you need to know is in the script which just made i don't know it makes Oshima feel very relatable as a director to me right <laughs> like, right yeah no i agree it it's um yeah, like the the one I found really interesting was uh, I really lo- I I have enjoyed the interviews with I think his name is is it Yoichi Sai, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the director that's him right. I I want to make sure it's not the, the wrong the guy. pink film director that they talked to on on the realm one. Well, yeah. Well. So there's there's my, uh, I forget or his the name. or the assistant director the guy who was assistant director who. Um, who later went on to be a director. Uh, he's mm-hmm. like, he's credited, I, the credit, all the credits are in French and I don't know anything, but he's like made a lot of movies. Like he's a, he's a, it's definitely him. Yeah. His name is Yoichi Sai. He's actually yeah. credited as a, on, on, on the internet as, I don't know anything about him, but like, uh, he's credited as being a South Korean film director. So it seems like he made his movies in South Korea. Uh, yeah. Yeah, though he I was mean, born in Nagano. Yeah, I mean he's he is of he is of mixed Korean and Japanese descent. Um, he seems like I, I'd be very interested. I don't know if we'll ever see any of his movies, but he he his commentary has so far been the most enlightening with regards to like, right, what's right. actually happening in these fucking movies. Um, like no one else seems to be. <laughs> but also, a what's lot. actually happening? Also, what's actually happening behind the scenes in these movies? Right, exactly. The like everybody too. else is like, pre- presenting like. Because our other guy, I forget, I keep forgetting his name. It's Matsu something. I can't. Yeah. The other guy, yeah. the the pink film director that like, we get a lot of information. He doesn't seem to add a lot, honestly, to the conversation. He mostly, he feels more like, um, I don't know, something about the way he talks about it is always like, I don't feel like he's actually adding anything. But Yoichi Sai seems to be adding. I find him the most interesting yeah. and engaging when he's talking about these movies, uh, and he. Uh, I found it really fascinating when he got into the discussion about what the the Japanese new wave means yes. with regards to like other new waves and yes. like and specifically the French new wave. I found that extremely insightful. I was like, I was like, finally, somebody's giving me some new fucking information here. Right. Uh, right. Like, that was very interesting. Yeah. The idea that like the, the Japanese new wave isn't really is a new wave, but it's, it's more of a sort of a revolution, uh, a, not a rev. I'm trying to think of like it's it's a turnover rather than a an actual 
proper film revolution, right? And uh, right. and how identifying it as the as a new wave is is suspect, even with regards to the way that the new wave direct the Japanese new wave directors view themselves, right? Because they all come and, out of the studio system; they're all right. Born and and I think he it. talks he talks about how you know sort of everyone. You know, with the French New Wave, there's sort of a consistent style across directors, right? You know, within there's there's a, a much there's a much broader lane of of who qualifies for the Japanese New Wave as opposed to the French or Italian, um, right? Yeah, uh, he seems like he'd be a very interesting character to uh, to look into if he's you know. I don't know if he South has any Korean, Criterion movies, but. Uh... If he's of South Korean descent and is the current president of the Directors Guild of Japan, that itself well, is very. I, I don't. I'm literally just to reading me. blurbs, so I have no idea. But like they identify him as a South Korean film director. He's yeah. what's he he his personal origins are like he's his fam- At least his father was Zainichi Korean, um, which means he was born in Korea or born in Japan raised in japan but they it seems like he took south korean nationality i it's very fascinating I, his personal life seems very very interesting i haven't read it yeah um but he would have i assume as a director he has a very very interesting sort of point of view because that would represent a very fat a very specific point of view on like life in both japan right. and korea that would be really interesting to learn about um, well, and also, you know, a guy who got his start, you know, his first his first jobs were working under Oshima doing these movies in particular is maybe uh, maybe an interesting director in his own right just from that, right? Right. It all seems very interesting, and I, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by this guy. Uh, and also very, very insightful about uh, sort of movie sort of film theory and stuff like that and like i, right. I don't know like right. again the most insightful commentary we got he's on definitely of these movies he's definitely a highlight of of both those uh both the uh, both the bonus features or the bonus features on both of these movies certainly so uh glad they got him talking uh but yeah uh yeah i mean it's an interesting movie it's interesting the way the ghost story sort of plays out that it exists in everyone's dreams like they just miss this guy, like everyone, everyone yeah, who vaguely right. knows him has a right. dream about him. Right. right. Of course, like, again, you get into this thing, it's like a village of like 25 people, right? Right. Like, right. Yeah, everybody's so going to really, him. really notice the one of 25 people who goes missing. Right. Suddenly, right. without five... any warning, doesn't say anything to anybody and is just gone. I feel like, if nothing else, the people in this town are not suspicious enough. Right. A full four percent of your population has disappeared. What's and, uh, yeah, and then didn't tell anyone except for his wife. Like, I mean, right. hmm, seems fishy. And even their daughter shows back up and has no idea where he is. Right, exactly. So. This seems seems odd. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, it's definitely an interesting movie. I uh, Oshima's interesting. You know, I'd never yeah. seen anything of his prior to Realm last week, and and Realm of the Senses is certainly a. Uh, a two first jump, <laughs> two feet first jumping yeah, in yeah, you really, on, yeah. on someone's career. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, this this isn't as good as that, but it is still it's there's a lot of interesting watch, things yeah. going on. Yeah, going on here. Uh, well, uh, we have a 
we have a different sort of interesting next week with a box set of short films. Uh, Science is Fiction, 23 films by Jean Penleve. Penleve. Interesting. The son of a mathematician and a photographer and filmmaker who specialized in underwater fauna. Born in 1902. So this should be, uh, whatever this is, should be interesting. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So look forward to experiencing it. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. Uh, I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Lost in Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com/LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at JonathanHape.com. And thanks for listening. I appreciate it.